This episode deals with child abuse and neglect, sometimes resulting in death. A lot of the changeling folklore I will be discussing is actually the result of rudimentary understanding of medicine and the societal rejection of autistic people and people with disabilities. If this is something you'd prefer not to listen to, please skip this episode. The belief that babies are associated with the innocence of life is a long-held one in society. This idea of purity is often due to their lack of life experience. They have yet to be influenced by the corruption of the world. They are in some ways symbolic of the ideal person. Perhaps that is why, when an infant looks or behaves differently than expected, people take notice. Is the baby sick? Are they just in a bad mood? Is there an easy explanation to the problem? Or could it be that something sinister has paid a visit to the home? This is the Memento Mori Oracle Podcast, where I, Claire Goodchild, discuss the history, lore, and symbolism of the images depicted in the cards of the Memento Mori Oracle deck. Dermot O'Byrne of Ulma Town, in his garden strolled up and down, He pulled his beard, and he beat his breast, and this is his trouble and woe confessed. The good folk came in the night, and they have stolen my bonny wee and away, have put in his place a changeling, a weeshy, weakly, wizen thing. From the speckled hen nine eggs I stole, and lighting a fire of a glowing coal, I fried the shells and I split the yolk. But never a word the stranger spoke. A bar of metal I heated red, To frighten the fairy from its bed, To put in the place of this frettin' wean, My own bright beautiful boy again. But my wife had hidden it in her arms, And cried for shame on my fairy charms. She sobs with the strange child on her breast, I love the weak wee babe the best. To Dermot O'Burns the tale to hear, the neighbours came from far and near. Outside his gate in the long boreen, they crossed themselves and said between their muttered prayers, He has no luck, for sure the woman is fairy-struck, to leave her child a fairy guest, and love the weak we we am the best. For hundreds of years, the belief in fairies dominated the lives of the people in Ireland and the UK. The Dini Shi, or fairy folk, were said to be the cause of all sorts of activity. Usually, this activity was mundane and expected, like rainy weather or the souring of milk. In these cases, simply showing your respect to the fairies was enough to fix what ailed you. But in other times, this activity was terrifying and disturbing and had to be solved with extreme measures. It was common knowledge that humans, particularly infants, were at risk of being stolen by the fairies, and left in the abductee's place would be what is known as a changeling. 
but what exactly is a changeling? Depending on the location and time period, a changeling can be a few things, but most commonly it is a fairy child that looks like the human version that was kidnapped. There is always something just slightly different, either in behavior or in appearance with the changeling, which is ultimately how they are discovered. In Scandinavia, a changeling can also be an elaborate wood carving that is left in a cradle by trolls. Using a form of glamour magic, this wooden placeholder looks to be the living, breathing child. Little by little, the enchantment wears away and the imitation child begins to get sick, and not long after it dies. The parents may never be the wiser that their real child was actually lost weeks or months before. If you're like me, you may be thinking, but why would a fairy want a human child, and why would they be okay with losing their own child to be raised by humans? Or, as you'll learn shortly, sometimes be hurt or killed by humans. It is important to note here that the reasons I'm about to list were often created to mask medical ignorance, human carelessness, economic suffering, and old-fashioned cruelty. That's not to say that these humans didn't believe the tales they told, they very much did. But I have to wonder if there's some sort of sliding scale of belief that existed in the community. The first reason that a fairy might steal a human child is that the fairy population needed genetic diversity. Inbreeding led to birth defects. And unsurprisingly, the second is that the fairies are easily enthralled by beauty and value it above all else. That means that beautiful humans to mate with would naturally make more beautiful fairies. Clearly, these first two reasons are very human, so it makes sense to have the same ideas given to all humanoid creatures that exist in our tales. Another, yet not as popular reason why a fairy would steal your baby is that the human baby would grow up as a servant or slave to the fairy family. I'm actually surprised that this doesn't appear as much as the others, but it is clearly derived from the different waves of invasion that took place in the Celtic lands. When it came to the trolls, it was thought that being raised by humans was a more respectable and noble upbringing, essentially setting their child up for a better future. This reason clearly has an undertone of xenophobia to it. Another claim that came up often in my research was that some fairies couldn't produce their own milk. In order for their children to survive, they needed to be raised on human milk. And when the fairy child was old enough, they would be whisked away back to the fairy realm. Other tales of changelings don't involve fairy children, but rather elderly fairies. They would disguise themselves as a baby in the hopes of receiving compassionate care in their final years. Presumably, unless taken as a slave, the human child would be left to die in the fairy realm. Unless, of course, they could be recovered. But, in order to do that, you had to recognize there was a changeling in your midst first. As I mentioned earlier, the changeling generally looked just like the child. But there were signs and symptoms families, especially mothers, were told to look out for. In Ireland, if your baby wasn't growing at the speed of others their age, this was the biggest warning sign. Today, this circumstance is recognized as failure to thrive and affects many children around the world. It is commonly brought on by food poverty and neglect, but can have other causes, of course. A bad year with crops could result in food shortages, as could an unexpected pregnancy. 
If a household had too many mouths to feed, or a mother wasn't getting enough calories to produce substantial amounts of milk, declaring your child a changeling would seem like a viable option. I of course don't want to negate the cruelty in this, but I can understand the desperation and the mindset behind it. These same justifications were made if a child was born with any sort of physical birth defect. In poor homes, everyone was expected to eventually work and help support the household. Anything that prevented this would have been an added struggle. Temperament was also a big warning sign. Babies and children who were grumpy, mean, and tormented their siblings were heavily suspected of being a changeling. Another thing to look out for in Ireland that meant your child might actually be a changeling was if they suddenly grew a beard or abnormally long and sharp teeth. When it comes to facial hair in children, the only thing I can think of is hypertrichosis, but that is almost always present at birth, and the sudden appearance of the hair is emphasized in these stories. It does make you wonder how that particular warning sign came to be. Spying on your child was always a good idea, especially if you were on the lookout for a changeling. These imposter children were said to jump and dance around when they thought nobody was watching. So if you saw your five-month-old infant suddenly running around with the family dog, there was a good chance that they were a fairy. And of course, as I stated at the start of this episode, the main thing to look out for was any sort of neurodivergent behavior. Before I get into the ways to rid yourself of a changeling, I wanted to quickly warn you again that some of these quote-unquote cures are brutal, especially as they were carried out against infants and children with disabilities. In Ireland and Wales, eggshells appear quite frequently as a way to force a changeling to reveal itself. Women were often instructed to boil a certain number of eggshells in their home. This would prompt the fairy child to grow curious and out itself by either speaking or running away. Other times, as the eggshells were being boiled, a poker would be placed into the fire until it burned red hot and then the child would be threatened into confession with it. Sometimes they would be just flat out burned or beaten with the instrument, typically by placing the poker inside their mouth while being asked to state their real name. It leaves the question as to why, in those cases anyway, they even bothered with the eggshells in the first place. I do hope to have the answers as to why the eggshells were magical in this way from a folkloric perspective later, Perhaps that is something I can share on Patreon when I find out. But a clue appears in a story called The Brewery of Eggshells, written by a man named Joseph Jacobs. Acorn before oak I knew, an egg before a hen. But I never heard of an eggshell brew, a dinner for harvest men. In the story, this rhyme is spoken by the changeling child to one of its siblings. After seeing the meal his mother is making, This reveals that he himself is something much older than his relatives. It is reminiscent of the old adage, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Apparently the fairies have been around long enough to settle the debate. Other times, suspected changelings would be placed in a basket and hung over the fire in the attempt to burn or scare the occupier out of the infant. This always resulted in severe burns, psychological damage, and even death. A more light-hearted cure was placing an instrument next to your child's bed or cradle. 
It was common knowledge that all the genishi, from fairies to trolls, loved music. The imposter would be so overcome with temptation that they would end up playing the instrument, therefore revealing themselves. Of course, the best way to deal with changelings was to prevent it from happening in the first place. There are tons of superstitions and methods on how to do this, so I've picked the ones I find most interesting. Because boys were more susceptible to fairy abductions, likely because neurodivergent behavior is more outwardly prominent in them, and physical disabilities are more common in them, they would sometimes be dressed in girls' and women's clothing until they were close to puberty. I mentioned early on that beautiful children were of particular interest to fairies. This is why people were advised not to fawn over a baby's looks, especially in public. You didn't know who or what was listening. And finally, baptism was also a great way to protect your baby. And the earlier this could be accomplished, the better. Until then, they were not to be left alone for even a minute, with family members often sleeping in shifts so someone could always take watch. With cases of changelings being documented well into the 19th century, the government of Ireland resorted to try and change the public's mind about how to protect or resolve a changeling problem. Their advice was this. Regardless of what happens, the best way is to love the fairy child and to love it as much as your own. As you have learned over this episode, changeling folklore is vast and has been told and retold for centuries. To close out this episode, I would like to now take this opportunity to share with you one of the stories I came across in my research. This is The Tailor and the Changeling, retold by James McDougall in Folktales and Fairy Lore in Gaelic and English, first published in 1910. There was, living in a village, a woman who had a male child with neither the growth nor the bloom of other children his age. From morning to evening, he would not cease one minute from crying, and he would eat far more food than was natural for the like of him. It was harvest, and there was not a person on the farm who could draw a sickle, but was out on the reaping field, except the mother of the child. She, too, would have been out there if not for fear that the nasty, screaming thing would break his heart crying if she should leave him in charge of any other person. It happened that there was, at this time, a tailor in the house, making clothes. The tailor was a shrewd, observant man, and he was but short a time within until he became suspicious of the lad in the cradle. You, he said to the woman, may go to the reaping, and I will take care of the child. The woman went away, but she had barely taken her feet over the threshold when the withered object she had left behind began shrieking and crying loudly and sorely. The tailor listened to him for a good while, keeping his eye on him, till he was sure that he was nothing but a changeling. He now lost patience with him and cried in a sharp, angry voice, Stop that music, lad, or I'll put thee in the fire. The crying ceased for a while, but afterwards it began a second time. Art thou at it again, piper of the one tune, said the tailor? Let me hear that music any more from thee, and I will kill thee with the dirk. When the fairy beheld the frown on the tailor's countenance and the dirk in his hand, he took such a fright that he kept quiet a good while. The tailor was normally a cheerful man, 
and to keep from wearying, he began to hum a tune. In the middle of the music, the ugly elf raised a loud howl, but if he did, he was not allowed to go on with his warble, but for a very short time. The tailor leaped off his work table, went, jerk in hand, over to the cradle, and said to the fairy, We have enough of that music. Take the right great bagpipes and give us a good tune on them, or else I'll put the jerk in thee. The fairy sat up in the cradle, took the pipes which he had somewhere about him, and struck up the sweetest music the tailor had ever heard. The reapers heard it on the field, and instantly dropped their sickles and stood listening to the fairy music. At length they left the field and ran in the direction whence the music came. But before they reached the house, the tune had ceased, and they knew not who played it and whence it came. When the reapers returned home in the evening, and the tailor got the mistress of the house alone, he told her everything that happened while she was out at the reaping, and that her child was nothing but a changeling. He then told her to go with him to the side of the bay, and to throw him out into the loch. She did as was told her, and as soon as the nasty little elf touched the water, he became a big grey-haired old man, and swam to the other side of the bay. When he got his foot on dry land, he cried to her that if he had known beforehand what she was going to do, he would have made her never think of doing such a thing again. She returned home and found her own child at the door before her, hale and sound. This has been the Memento Mori Oracle Podcast, part one of two for the child card. Special thanks to Stephen for reading the poem at the start of the episode. Be sure to check out the next episode, which is part two, where we will be discussing the phenomenon of black-eyed children.